Thanks for joining us at Warehouse Church. We would love for you to stay connected, and a great way for you to do that is to simply subscribe to this podcast. You can also stay connected throughout the week by checking out our website, warehousechurch.com, or by visiting our Facebook or Instagram pages. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged by this week's message. Let's pray this morning. Father, we do love you. Thank you for being for us. Uh, Lord, we know that when you are for us, who can stand against us? Uh, We're honored to be in your presence today, Lord. Bless your word as we open it up today and uh, learn from it, grow from it, and and just learn how to be more like you. We open our hearts, submit ourselves to you. Bless our online audience today. Bless everyone that's in the auditorium today. Uh, Bless our our great state. and Bless our country right now, Lord. We pray for healing. Uh, We pray, Father, that you would use this time that, that we may not even understand, Father, but you would use this time uh, and, and use us uh, to be greater witnesses with the gospel of Jesus Christ than we ever have been before. We thank you for this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Good morning. Let's get those lights on in the auditorium, please, back in the back. Good morning, church. I want to see your faces. Good morning. It's good to see you in the house today. Uh, it's great. good to see you, Officer Sir. Uh, great, great to have you, everybody, with us this morning. Welcome our online audience uh, that's with us today as well, and we're very honored. Uh, we had a great result from the election that we talked about last week. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you to welcome with me Mayor Andy Redinger to our auditorium this morning. And he was very quick. That's great election, election news right there, isn't it? Uh, and he, was, he said, can I introduce you to the First Lady of New Hope? He said that to me today. But, um, hey, we're glad you're here, and we hope that uh, you'll be encouraged by our message today. I want to introduce somebody else that's with us before I introduce my, my dear friend, Jerry. Uh, sitting in the front row, uh, you know, there is a ministry that, that sometimes people don't really understand, unless you're a woman, that women have. And uh, Mrs. Jerry Thorpe, who's with us today, has been married to my dear friend, Pastor Jerry, for 62 years. Isn't that awesome? And they, they have had such a great ministry of encouraging pastors. He passed, Jerry pastored the Great Temple Baptist Church in Odessa, Texas for many years, following his father, thinking about that song we were just singing, uh, for many, many years, grew it to be thousands of people strong at the center of the community, had a great, great ministry. Now he goes all over the country and encourages pastors and churches like myself and our, and our church body. Uh, he's on the board at Liberty University. And uh, he said, I still can't believe you don't like the Cowboys to me when we were having dinner yesterday. So you're really going to like him this morning. Would you welcome to the platform for me, church, uh, Pastor Jerry Thorpe. Man, love you. Look, I'm happy to be in Texas this morning because I'm born and bred a Texan. So say howdy to me. Really delighted to be here. As you know, over the past year 2020 has been a very very difficult year and uh, we've gone through the pandemic which created so much havoc so much fear so many problems and we just come through a very bitter and very contested election so talking to Ed brought up this message I'm going to talk to you this morning on this subject how to keep it together when it seems to be falling apart so let me give this introduction. Wouldn't it be great if when you became a Christian, nothing bad ever happened to you again? 
It's like God put this invisible shield around you and nothing could touch you. Just because you're a Christian, everything in your life would go right. You always have a great job that you love. Your marriage is an eternal honeymoon. Kids never go brain dead or anything like that on you. <clears throat> nothing around your house would ever break down. Weeds won't even grow in your yard and nobody ever gets sick or ever dies. Well, that would be a great recruiting tool for Christianity, but we know it's not true. We know bad things happen to good people. The question this morning is not if difficulties will come. The question is how we relate to those difficulties. How do we keep it together when it seems to be falling apart? Well, we're going to go to the book of James for our text today in chapter 1 and chapter 5. If you'd like to follow along in your Bible, the words will be on your screen. But if you'd like to follow wrong, that would be great. And may I tell you, James, when he wrote his book in the Bible, was writing to hurting people. You will notice in the first verse we read, he's writing to Christians, to Jewish people scattered around the world. Those that were under the heel of the Roman Empire was most of them, with, with emperors like Nero and Domitian. I mean, it was dangerous to be a Christian. So Christians worshiped in fear. They worshiped underground. They, they, they did it. I mean, it, they died in all terrible ways simply because of their faith in Jesus Christ. So James is writing to hurting people. So let's pick it up. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, this letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad, greetings. Then he said, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now let's stop there just a minute. If you were paying attention, you have just said, that verse doesn't make a lick of sense. You want us to call it great joy when we get in all kinds of trouble, when we're being killed, when we're being killed in the Colosseums, when we're being killed simply because we believe in Jesus. So when that happens, you want us to consider it great joy? Well, hang on to the word joy because we'll hit it again toward the end of the message. Verse three, for you know that when your faith is tested, your patience has a chance to grow. Now we're going to chapter 5, beginning in verse 7, we'll read through 11. James said, dear brothers and sisters, be patient, second time he said that, as you wait for the Lord's return. And then James incredibly gives three examples of patience. First of all, he talks about the farmer. Notice this verse, consider the farmer who, for the third time, patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring, they eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. First the farmer, for an example of patience. Then second, you too must be patient. Take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. Then in verse 10, he gives a second example. For examples of, for the fourth time, patience in suffering, dear brothers and sisters. Look at the prophets. These are the Old Testament prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And then he gives one other, and that's Job. First the farmer, then the prophets, then he talks about Job. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great patience. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, 
for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. Now, in this text to hurting people, James six times says, be patient. The word means to wait, it means to hang on, it means to idle your motor when you feel like stripping your gears. But patience is a hard sell in America. Our society is not set up that way. In fact, our culture would be better identified by the little Nike slogan, just do it. That's what we want, we want action. We want to get going now. Let me give you some examples. We don't have time for United States mail, so we have faxes, we have emails, we have Facebook, we have Twitter. We don't want to miss any calls. We have cell phones, we have pagers, we have texting. We have instant printing, next day delivery, fast food. Your accountant might use QuickBook. Your phone might be Sprint. Your orange juice could be Minute Maid. Your package could be delivered by Federal Express. Your diet could be slim fast. Your chocolate could be Nestle's quick. Your pictures could be taken to one hour photo. Your food could be instant pudding. Your car could go through the 10 minute lube. At the airport, you can go through the rapid shuttle. At the hotel, you got a quick check-in. And if you go for a swim, wear your Speedo, okay? <laughs> Simply because we don't want to wait. I had a pastor friend that I respected and really kind of turned me on to thinking on this passage about 40 years ago. He said he was walking down a, 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 the aisle in the middle of an indoor mall and there's one of those little stalls in the middle that had a sign on it that simply said, ears pierced while you wait. Yeah. Well, yes. <laughs> you can't unscrew them and leave them and pick them up tomorrow. So it's just a play on how impatient we are. Even medicine. I mean, on television, we'll get rid of your headache quickly. We'll cure your upset stomach. And the problem is in our world, we want emotional cures and spiritual cures the same way. And James steps into those in trouble and he says, be patient, wait. Then he gave three examples of patience. First of all, the farmers. Let me just read it to you again. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. Now, we're not talking about a 21st century farmer. We're talking about a first century farmer. He has no electricity. He has no irrigation system. He has no mechanized equipment. He might have an ox at a primitive plow that he follows and he can turn the ground over. He plants by hand, seed by seed. He covers it up by hand and then he must wait because the sun's not in his control. The rain's not in his control. So consider the farmer who plants but patiently waits for the rains to bring him the harvest. They plant the crops, but they must wait upon God. They must wait for the rain, wait for the sun. It's ultimately up to God. It's beyond the farmer's control. He has to be patient. Now, let me just give you in your life. How many things happen to us that are really out of our control? Freddie and I have been married, as Ed said, a long time. And she says, I need to go to Fort Worth to shop, get my hair done. And I say, honey, look, just please be careful. 
she says, I'm always careful. Yeah, I know, but the guy in the next lane, I don't, but you know something? That wreck is really beyond my control. The economy that we've been through, pandemic, it's beyond our control. And diseases, if we come down with COVID, it's probably pretty much beyond your control. And James steps into your life and says, be patient. Then second, he talked about the Old Testament prophets, that sometimes God asks us to play hurt. First point, farmer teaches us we wait upon God. Farmer teaches us sometimes we must play hurt. James said, for examples of patience and suffering, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now these are God's best people. These, old these are God's spokesmen, but they hurt. When Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, king of the world at that time, went into the tiny nation of Israel and just sacked the nation, destroyed the temple, took the valuables back with him, and took a great group of the people back with him. And they were camped along the river Kabar, outside of Babylon. Refugee people, starving, away from home, and there was a brilliant young priest named Ezekiel. There's a book in the Bible that he wrote. And Ezekiel is ministering to hurting people. And he's a brilliant, faithful, hardworking, doing it right guy. Yet one day God said to him, Ezekiel, I want you to preach and tonight the desire of your eyes will die. We're talking about his wife. She must have been a lovely girl. Living there, it must have been the bright spot in his life. And God said tonight, I'm going to take away the desire of your life. But I want you to do tomorrow as I've commanded you. I don't want you to wear the clothes of mourning. I don't want you to eat the food of mourning. I want you to do tomorrow what you've been doing. And the Bible says in chapter 24 of Ezekiel, So I did as I was commanded, and at even my wife died. And I did the next day as I was commanded. He's one of God's best people. Daniel in that same refugee group was taken hostage, never got back to Israel. Elijah, perhaps the greatest prophet in the Old Testament, felt so alone that he cried, God, I'm the only one that still loves you. And we just called Jeremiah the weeping prophet. All of these people were walking in the will of God, but they were suffering. Which, just let me make a point here that I dealt with a lot more when I was young in the ministry. Most suffering is not a punishment for sin. When I grew up in the church, when something bad happened, there was a bad wreck or something bad happened, I would hear somebody say, I wonder what they did. No, that's bad theology. Most suffering is not a punishment for sin. These people were God's best people. So what's the answer? Well, when I was pastoring in Odessa, I was also chaplain of the Odessa Permian football team, Mojo, which is the winningest football program in Texas in the 70s and 80s and the first part of the 90s. So I was around their coaches because I spoke to the team a lot of times before games. And my son is a graduate of Liberty and he's a coach on a high school level. And when I was an Odessan from my son, so often I've heard them say things like, Let's, let me just use my son. Dad, that's such a great, he coaches girls basketball. That's such a great girl. You know, she doesn't quit every time 
She doesn't feel good. She doesn't quit because she's got to pull a muscle. She doesn't quit when it would be easier to quit. She's willing to play hurt. Another example. Perhaps the greatest Christian who ever lived is the Apostle Paul. I mean, he lived like a, like a suicidal maniac for Jesus Christ. That Bible, if it's in your lap, he wrote at least 13 books of the New Testament of your Bible. He's one of the greatest people, maybe the greatest Christian who ever lived. But when we get to chapter 12, he's begging God. Three times he comes before God and he pleads with God. He doesn't describe what the physical problem is. He just said, it's a thorn in the flesh. When you were a kid going barefoot, did you ever get a thorn that stayed and tore and festers up? I got a thorn in the flesh. Second, he said, it's like a messenger of Satan. It's like the devil has targeted me and just poured out his venom upon me. And third, he said, it buffets me. It beats me every day. A thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan that buffets me. And the greatest Christian who perhaps ever lived said, I went to God three times. And I said, God, please take it away. God, I could preach better, I could write better, I could travel better, I could get shipwrecked better, I could be stoned better if you just take this physical. And God said, no. Paul, no, 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 I'm not going to take it away. You see, when you're weak and people see that you still love me, when it's hurtful to love me, when it's painful to love me, when people see what you're going through and you still love me, when you're weak, I am strong. And they realize you're not doing this for any other reason than because you love me. I pastored 36 years what became the largest church in our community. And I was constantly awed by people who seemed like they went out of one problem into another problem into another problem. But they always loved the Lord and they always came and they always did right. And I just thought, wow, what great servants of God. The farmer says that sometimes we must wait. It's beyond our control. The prophets say sometimes God asks us to play hurt. And third, there's Job. Just take a second here. Job shows us that sometimes we don't understand. If you've ever read the book of Job, it's considered to be the great, greatest poem in the Bible. It's a fascinating story about one of the richest men, powerful men, godly men, and all of a sudden, in a little, little back and forth between God and the devil, everything falls apart in his life. All 10 of his children are killed in ways that seem like God did it. He lost his health, he lost all of his wealth. He was smitten with boils from the top of his head to the sole of his feet, and everybody around him was saying, what did you do? Why is this coming upon you? Why is this happening to you? And the book of Job is Job wrestling with God and saying, God, I don't understand. I did it right, and yet all of this is happening to me. I don't understand. And Job said, I've received good from the Lord. Shouldn't I receive evil? He said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all of that, Job never sinned. So James said, using those three examples, I want you to be patient. Well, you'd say, okay, come on, what's the patience for? 
Well, James is saying, did you notice in verse 7, be patient to the coming of the Lord? And in verse 8, he said, be patient to the coming of the Lord. James is saying, ultimately, to the Christian, all joy is in the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came to this earth the first time. He was born in a manger in Bethlehem to a virgin girl. Why did they miss him? Their greatest preacher of the Old Testament, Isaiah, said in chapter 7, verse 14, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. And when the passage of time came for that virgin to conceive, God took a young girl named Mary, who was engaged to a young man named Joseph. And the angel came and said, blessed are you among women, and that holy seed in you is going to be given by the Spirit of God, and you're going to have a son that's going to be the answer to that prophecy, the Son of God. So Mary, have you ever thought this through? Had to go tell Joseph, I'm, honey, I'm pregnant. How could you be pregnant? We have never, I know. Well, who did you sleep? I didn't sleep with anybody. Well, how did this happen? God did it. It was the Holy Spirit. Tough sell. And then the angel Gabriel came to Joseph and said, Joseph, take Mary to be your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son. And you call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Your son is coming to this world. God's son through Mary is coming this world to die on a cross so that our sins could be forgiven and we could spend eternity in heaven. So no wonder on that first Christmas Eve that the angels sang to shepherds below, we bring you good tidings of great, what's the next word? Do you know it said out loud? Joy. Remember I told you to remember the word joy. Count it all joy. The angels said, we bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a, do you know the next word? Savior, which is Christ the Lord. In other words, the joy was that God was coming to this earth to live and die on a cross so our sins could be forgiven and we could have peace with God. And they said, I bring you tidings of joy. And 2,000 years later next month, I, I suspect most of us will sometimes sing, joy to the world, the Lord is come. So James looked at a hurting world and said, be patient. Because this same Jesus who came the first time is coming again. Count it all joy that Jesus is coming again. Now, What's the joy? I'm going to have to leave you here and, and just be within me. I can't speak for my friend Ed what the joy is in Jesus' is coming. I, I can't go into your heart and tell you what the joy is in Jesus' second coming. The Bible said he will come and rapture us back into heaven. I don't know. I can just speak on my own behalf. But I give you three thoughts. Here are the three joys in the Lord's coming First of all, when he comes, I will be in the presence of Christ. 
The night before Jesus died, he said in John 14 to his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Everybody believes in God. Make sure you believe in me. In my father's house, talking of heaven. Remember King David said, when I die, I will go to the father's house. He said, in my father's house are many dwelling places. And if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now work through that. Jesus said, when I return, Jerry Thorpe, I'm going to take you out of this world, that where I am, there you may be also. You will be in the presence of Christ. Another verse says by Paul, to be absent from the body will make you present with the Lord. Now I haven't experienced that, but Psalmist chapter 16 verse 11 said, thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Now I've been saved and walked with the Lord a long time and I'm talking to some of you. Some of you are newer Christians, but some of you have walked with the Lord a long time. Uh, how many songs have you sung about the Lord? How many times have you stood and sang, oh, how I love Jesus, or some of the songs of the faith? How many times have you read in your Bible, the New Testament, about the life of Jesus Christ and his death? How many times have you knelt and prayed? How many times have you heard someone like me stand and preach about the Lord Jesus Christ? In other words, a lot of you have loved him and walked with him and prayed to him and read about him and sang to him, but you have never seen him. But the, the Bible says when the Lord comes, I will be in, not only just see him, I will be in his presence. I, I tried to think of any song that we sing that I can remember the first time I heard it. And the only one I could think of is the song, I Can Only Imagine, by Mercy Me. I was preaching that morning in Wichita, Kansas, Bruce Thomas's church. I was speaking that morning on the return of the Lord, so I'd immerse myself in that subject, and I was sitting right over here on that front row, and Nate Harmon, who was leading singing at that church, got up and sang this song, I Can Only Imagine What It Would Be When the Lord Comes and In His Presence. And I'm listening to these words, surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah, or will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. And I was crying like a baby. I was crying like a baby, just to think of what it would be like to stand in the presence of Jesus Christ. And the second joy to me is when I stand there, everything changes. Here's a verse out of Revelation chapter 21. This, God said, it's going to be like what, this is what your world's going to be like when you're in my presence. Just read it along with me. And God shall wipe away all tears from your eyes. And there shall be no more death. 
neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. I will make all things new. Here again in 36 years of pastoring one church in Odessa, tears and sorrow and crying and pain were a constant. I go back in my mind and it hurts me still to think of all the times standing in the hospital by the bed of somebody I loved and they were dying. And I knew it and they knew it and they looked at me with pleading eyes. Standing on the vestibule area of a funeral home because that night after church a young man and young woman, teenagers, he had surrendered his life to be a minister and they were on their way to a miniature golf activity and some way got in a wreck and both of the kids were killed and I stood with his daddy while we waited for that boy's body to get back and his dad looked at me pleadingly and he said, Jerry, would it be wrong for me to pray that that's somebody else's son and not my son? Tears and crying. And death was a constant enemy. My dad died in July of 1999. I was sitting beside my dad when he died. Some of you have been through that. And that's so difficult. I was holding my dad's hand when he died. Two Sundays later, I preached a message called Lessons I Learned from a Godly Father. And I said this about my dad's death. Why do we gloss death over? Why do we pretend it's anything but what it is? Death is not our friend. Death is our enemy. It kicks down the door to our lives and takes from us people we love and need. Death has no mercy that you love them intensely or needed them greatly. Death does not care for your tears. It mocks your fears. It says life is beautiful. It lays suspect to all that you have done. But Jesus said, when I come back, there will be no more death. And the third thing that is joy to me, presence of Christ, everything changes. Third, let's just call it reunion. See, I believe in life after death for the saved and the unsaved. If you're listening to me this morning and you've never accepted Jesus Christ, I believe, when you die, I believe in life after death for you, but I don't believe in reunion. But if you're a Christian, I believe in reunion. I just know I will see my dad again someday. I know I'll see my mother again someday. How many of you have lost someone that you loved and they're with the Lord? Would you raise your hand? How many have lost someone? Let me ask you a question. Do you believe you'll see him again someday? Absolutely. Steve Hawking, who was a British physicist and author, dismissing the notion of life after death, wrote in USA Today, I regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail. Your head is a computer, he said, that when its components fail, it just ceases to exist. There is no heaven, he said. There is no afterlife from broken down computers. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. Mr. Hawking has died since. He knows much better now. But let's talk about fairy story. Uh, really? This Bible is a fairy story? This Bible that 
tells us the plan of God from Eden this way. What's happened, what's, why we're here, where we're going. This is a fairy story. You mean the life of Jesus, really? Who said, because I live, you shall live also. At the grave of Lazarus, said, if you believe, you can have eternal life. Jesus is a fairy tale, a fairy story for those afraid of the dark. Do you mean my dad's life? My dad loved God and walked with God. You mean his life is just a fairy story? I served God a lot of years. I'm 84 years old now. I was saved when I was 18. I've tried to walk with the Lord a long time. Is all my years, is it just a fairy story? I find that totally appalling. Here's what I find appealing. The words that are on your screen. Paul said, this is the way it'll end up. For the Lord himself. He's not sending Gabriel. He's not sending Michael. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. We're talking about my daddy. We're talking about my mama. We're talking about your loved ones will rise first. Then we which are alive, if we're privileged to do that, alive and remain shall be caught up, keep reading, together with them to meet the Lord in the air to be in his presence. And so shall we ever be in the presence of the Lord. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. Uh, let me close with this thought. It's been a long time, but people used to say, what do you want to be doing when Jesus comes? You want to be preaching? I said, no. What, you want to be studying, reading your Bible, visiting something? No. What would you like to be doing when this happens? Uh, I said, I know exactly what I'd like to be doing. I'd like to be standing with Freddie and family in the Sunset Memorial Gardens in Odessa, Texas, where my dad and mom lay side by side. And we'd be there to visit the grave and clean the stuff and put fresh flowers and while we're talking about them and how we miss them, all of a sudden, a trumpet blows. And I look around and say, What's, who's blowing a trumpet out here now? And then I hear a shout. Maybe the shout says, come up hither. Now, I don't know if that's what he's going to say, but okay, I'll take that. Come up hither. And all of a sudden, the dirt starts coming out of both of those graves. And my dad comes out of that grave as perfect as God could make a man. And my mom comes out as perfect as God could make a woman. And my dad, with that huge smile that I've missed, reaches out and puts his arm around me and puts his arm around Freddie and say, come on, kids, we're going to meet Jesus. That's it right there. That's it right there. That's the joy to me. I'll be in the presence of Christ. Everything changes and there will be reunion. I'm going to close my prayer and then the pastor will come. If you're watching me this morning and you've never accepted Jesus Christ, I got saved as a freshman in college. It's nothing complicated about it. I knew I was a sinner. I knew I needed to be forgiven. I bowed before a holy God and asked him to forgive my sins and come in my life. That's been 67 years ago. 
And he's been a great friend to me. And I'm grateful for him. So I, I, I wish that maybe you would bow your heads and trust him right now. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you. The Bible is so meaningful to us. There's so much that encourages our heart. Lord, we live in a discouraging world. There's so much difficulties and pains. And Lord, thank you for the comfort you give us and instructions of how to keep it together when it seems to be falling apart. Lord Jesus, we love you. We look forward to your coming. Help us to be faithful to you until that glorious day. And we pray that in his name. Amen. God bless you guys. Would you let Jerry know how much you appreciate him this morning?